Hey, Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost Sunday. You know, if you can't spell Pentecostal without Pentecost. We're going to get into the Word and we're going to open up, obviously, to the book of Acts, chapter 2. I mean, you may be new to faith. You may not know, uh, been around church circles as long as I do, so I shouldn't have said obviously. But we're going to open up to the book of Acts, starting in chapter 2. Where are we? Where Jesus has, has, has ministered for three years. He's been crucified. He's laid in the grave. He's, he's risen from the dead. He's hung around. The disciples have seen him and many people have seen Jesus since he was raised from the dead. Then he's ascended to heaven. And uh, here we are at the book of Acts. This is written by Luke. Luke was uh, commissioned by a guy by the name of Theophilus. Theophilus was a wealthy individual. They say he was probably a Jewish man from Alexandria. And he commissioned Luke to write this. And Luke went around and he interviewed eyewitnesses. He went and he interviewed Peter. He interviewed John. He interviewed Mary, the mother of Jesus. And this is the eyewitness report of what happened on this day. And it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all, all the disciples, all of Jesus' followers, there was 120 of them, they were all with one accord. They were in unity. I mean, there's a message in that alone, the power of, of unity. But they were in one accord and in one place. They had gathered together. There is power in the gathering of the saints. And when the saints gather together and they gather together in unity, we know that it commands a blessing. And then it says, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We're going to read a fair chunk of Scripture today because this is a a good historical record of what happened on the very first day of Pentecost. So we're going to keep reading. And it goes on to say, And there dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. You see, Pentecost was the first of the, the, the Jewish feasts that happened. You know, this is about springtime for them, so the weather's getting better, so people can travel. So when Pentecost is the most well-attended of all of the feasts at that time, it was Jerusalem was... Was packed. And when this sound, what sound? The sound of a mighty rushing wind occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? It's like saying, Are not all these people that speak from the Air Peninsula, I don't know. They, they knew them because of their regional dialect, but they knew them because of their dress. They were a certain type of people. Are not all these people Mount Barkerites? Uh, I don't know. Do we have a, a collective term for Mount Barker? Pastor Gary, you'd be the one that would... No? Hills dweller. Are not these hills dwellers? <laughs> and how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites... Those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Ferga and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. 
we hear them speaking in our own tongue the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others were mocking and said, they're full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour my spirit out on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. I shall show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath blood and fire, vapour and smoke, the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be praised. Thank you. (laughs) You know what's good? You all knew what I meant. It's up there. There you go. Fantastic. Keeps you honest. Peter then goes on to preach to the multitude, to the thousands that were around. And he goes on to say to them after he's preached, he says, Repent and let each one of you be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is to you and to your children And to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Who knows that we have a generation that needs to be saved? Who knows that we've got some teaching and indoctrination that's happening in our world that's completely wild. And we have a generation of young people that need to be saved. We've got a generation of young families that need the power of the Holy Spirit. We've got people from all walks of life that they need to be saved. They need to hear the good news of Jesus because of this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his words were baptised and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. The first revival happened in the modern church not some 50 to 60 days after Jesus' death, burial and resurrection. And it goes on to say in verse 42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then Then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. One of the things that's sad to me is that when Jesus walked the earth for his three years of ministry, I mean, even growing up, Jesus would have known heaps of people, right? Growing up in Galilee, hometown of Nazareth, he probably went to Nazareth primary school, um, graduated, went to Nazareth Technical College as a carpenter. Through his three years of ministry, he ministered to thousands. We know that he fed 4,000 at least. It could have been 12 or 16, depends on your your sums and who you listen to. We know he fed 5,000. Uh, miraculously provided for them. We know that he healed multitudes. We know that he had 
followers uh, that followed him, hundreds of followers that followed him, that everywhere he would go, he would draw crowds. And yet at this moment, there were only 120 people left of his disciples in the upper room. They were gathered, they were in unity, they were praying, and then the Holy Spirit came. Tongues of fire sat on each one of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they all began to speak in tongues. You know, I love that they were all filled. They were all filled. Every one of them was filled with the Holy Spirit. I love that when Peter comes out and they all come out and they overflow, the list of those nations is massive. All the different people because the the Spirit of God isn't available just to the elect. The baptism of the Holy Spirit isn't available just to those who've reached or attained a certain level of degree or an indoctrination. The Holy Spirit isn't available to one race, to one creed, to one culture. The Holy Spirit is available to each and every one of us. You could be from Africa. You could be from Asia. You could be from Australia. You could be from Siberia. The Holy Spirit is available to each and every one of us who calls upon the name of the Lord. It's not just for the priest. It's not just for the padre. It's not just for the pope or the pastor. But it's for you, the individual, the person. The Holy Spirit's power is there. And this is the moment when the disciples were filled. This moment changed everything for eternity. We're still living in the overflow of the revival that started on the day of Pentecost. They went from hiding to being afraid to preaching in plain sight. They went from victims to victors, from powerless to healing the sick and raising the dead. Acts chapter three, Peter. Acts chapter two, Peter preaches and thousands are saved. Peter and John in Acts chapter three, they heal the paraplegic at the gate. Beautiful. The apostles, they uh, we read that they stand up against the very people that crucified Jesus. The apostles perform many miracles and signs and wonders. You know, it says in the book of Acts that people would be bringing their sick and the the diseased and the demon possessed out on the streets just so that Peter's shadow would pass over them and then they would be healed. You know, the power of the Holy Spirit doesn't just belong to the apostles, but He's available to each and every one of us. He's available to you and to me. We aren't called to live weak and powerless lives as Christians. We're called to take dominion. We're called to bring healing to a generation. We're called to carry salvation in the name of Jesus. You know, healing doesn't belong just in the time of the apostles and just in the time of Jesus. Healing is available to us today. It's not just that signs and wonders happened at the time of the apostles, but they're available to be worked through you today. You don't have to have a microphone. You don't have to be do something special in this 90 minutes we call a church service. But the signs and the thing that I love, is that as soon as they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they went out onto the street. They started witnessing. They started preaching the gospel. They started speaking in tongues and seeing signs of wonders. It's for the world. But it's not just that He's available to each and every one of us. We need to understand that you need the Holy Spirit. You need the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It's not essential to your salvation. We make our doctrine clear. You are saved by the grace of God through faith, not of works, so that no one can boast. But you need the Holy Spirit to live the life that He's called you to live. Now, if you went to the if you went to the car yard to uh, 
It's a Mercedes because we're all wealthy people. And uh, we claim that in Jesus' name. And you bought a brand new Mercedes, whatever, and you, it got delivered to your house in the back of a truck and it sat there at the front of your house and you washed it, kept it nice and clean. You uh, sat in it, maybe listened to the radio every now and then. You, uh, you, know, you experienced the warmth of the seats. You, know, you have this beautiful car and you're sitting there and, you, and you're just admiring it. Maybe you sit out on your veranda, out in the porch with a cup of tea and just have a sip and go, it's ah, a nice car. Right there. You know, that car will never fulfill its purpose, what it was created for and what it was destined for, unless you put fuel in the engine and get in and drive it. You can have your salvation. You can sit on your veranda with your cup of tea, enjoy your Earl Grey or your Yorkshire Gold or French Earl Grey as Sarah likes. But unless you put the Holy Spirit in you and get out and drive, you will never outwork the call of God in your life. You need the Holy Spirit. You need Him in your workplace. You need Him to be a parent. Heaven knows you need the Holy Spirit to parent your children. You need the Holy Spirit in every sphere of your life. I don't want to get to heaven and present to God a brand new car that I've washed and kept clean and said, here it is, God, here's your Mercedes back. I want to give him a car that's rusted out, that's worn out, that I've thrashed because I've had to go everywhere and go everywhere and and see people and take things to people. You know, I want to have a car that's well used. But to do that for the car and for us to fulfill our purpose, we need to have the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Ghost. You were created not just to be saved and sit on your veranda and drink a cup of tea, but you were saved for a purpose. You were saved. You have a a, a purpose in mind. He has a plan for your life. You were created to have an impact in the world and whatever it is, the sphere that you're in, you may be a parent that stays at home. Fantastic. Bring the Holy Ghost to your kids. You might be a checkout chick at Coles or guy when you're scanning the milk, lay hands on the milk. Whatever it is that you're called to do, you might be in your workplace and lay hands on your co-workers and ask. You need healing, can I pray for you? The only worst they can do is say no and call HR and have you kicked out. No, they won't do that. We're called to walk in the authority and the power of the Holy Spirit. We're not called to just Live a life sipping cups of tea. Although Sarah probably thinks that sounds really nice, sitting on a veranda. <laughs> In the physical, yes, but you can't do that forever, babe. Someone's got to pay for those cups of tea. <laughs> uh, praise the Lord. No matter who you are, no matter your background, no matter where you've come from, you have a call of God on your life. You have a call of God on your life. You have a purpose. And you need the Holy Spirit to outwork that purpose. Five reasons today that you need the Holy Spirit. Number one, the Holy Spirit, He guides you. John chapter 16, verse 12, Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. 
Okay, so often we think that our intellect is enough. We think I'm clever enough. We think I've got enough people in my world that can guide me and lead me. But it's the Holy Spirit that guides you. Not only does He guide you when it comes to you know, opening the Word and, and, and exposing the truths that are hidden within it, not only does He guide you in the things of the Spirit, but He's available to give you guidance in every area of your life. When we're making decisions, when we're trying to work out what to do with the kids, how can I keep them from eating so much and growing so tall? You know, <laughs> I don't think there's anything you can do about that. But the Holy Spirit is there to guide you in every area of your life. But so often what we do is we allocate the Holy Spirit to our spiritual walk. Now, what do I need to know to be able to walk in this or to do that or to be someone who walks in the prophetic or walks in the healing? Well, you know, I need to, I need to know how God's going to guide me today. Every morning I get up in the morning and I take a moment and I stop and I breathe and I say, Holy Spirit, I need you today. I need you to guide me. I need you to lead me. I need you today. You know, when I used to work for school's ministry group, the office was in Edwardstown and we lived in Ridgehaven. And so if you know the layout of Adelaide, that's a long way. Uh, it's on the other side of the city. It's, it's almost considered the other side of the world if you're from Adelaide. It's further than 20 minutes. And, you know, I just became, I'm, I'm just the type of guy quite often I would just be like, I'm just going to risk it. I'm just going to go. I think I know the quickest way. You'd come up and you'd be going down Lower North East Road or Paynham Road and I'd think, oh, I'm just going to go through the back roads. And I'll squeeze along and I'll be driving through the back blocks of McGill or wherever I am, getting lost, running into dead ends and, uh, and uh, you know, chasing my tail. And, you know, what should be a 45-minute trip normally becomes about an hour and 15 minutes because I, I know better. You know, I know, I know the best way to go. Uh, who knows a man that doesn't like to take directions? Uh, don't put your hand up, wives. It's okay. We'll just take for granted that it's all of us. And Dean, Gary and Hayden said, Amen. <laughs> you know, we do that so often in life. We think we know better and we go and then things become a mess. You know, I, I get to that point where I get to a dead end of the road and I finally put in my GPS and the GPS can tell you the quickest way and I think, well, I should have done that from the start. It would have saved me 15 minutes. We do that with our life. We move on and we go and we keep moving and we keep moving. I've just got to keep moving. I've just got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got to make, purchase that house. I've got to get this job promotion. I've got to do this. My kids have got to do ballet. They've got to do uh, horse riding. They've got to do karate. Uh, that's not a dig at you, Joe. That's just what came to my head. Joe's a black belt karate person. They've got to do all these things and we've got to keep moving and we've got to keep going. And we've got to, you know, my kids have got to go to university. They're going to become doctors. They're going to earn enough money to be able to build a house for me that I can retire in. You know, like we keep moving, but so often what we need to do is to stop and to pause and to go, ah, Holy Spirit, I need you. Don't wait until you're stuck. I mean, he is there when you're stuck. Don't wait. He need, he's there for you now. Take a moment every day. You know, I, I do a lot of uh, hospital visits as part of my job. I visit people. I went through a season last year where I visited um, four or five people who ended up passing away. They were, they were knock, knocking on heaven's door, you know, and it's a, really, uh, it's a really hard part of the job but a very fulfilling part of the job that you would be considered and honoured to be able to be a part of that moment with a family. Um, it's really quite beautiful, um, but it is really quite heavy as well. And so every time I'd pull up at the hospital, Modbury Hospital, Lyle McEwen, wherever, Royal Adelaide, 
Holy Spirit, I need your presence. I need you to speak to me and lead me in this. You know, the Holy Spirit is there to lead you and to guide you. He doesn't force you, but we need to stop and we need to ask and say, Holy Spirit, what would you have me do today? There are times in our life where we run ahead and we go ahead and we do things and let's choose to be a people that stop, to pause and to ask the Holy Spirit for guidance. Five reasons you need the Holy Spirit. Number one, he guides you. Secondly, he heals you. Mark chapter 16, verse 17. And these signs will follow those who believe. Who's here this morning that believes? Who's here this morning that believes that Jesus died and rose again on the third day? He believes that you're your Saviour. Made, you've made him the Lord of your life. If you're a believer, that's you. That's who Jesus is talking about. These signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents and drink anything. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. And they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. The Holy Spirit is a healer. He is Jehovah Rapha. And He can heal you and He can work through you to bring healing to other people. He can heal you. I've seen it in my own life. I've prayed this year for, I know of at least five people that have experienced a miracle, although I think it's four, but I've had five in my head, but I could only remember four. I prayed for a woman in Edithburg who had a, had a lump on her breast. She'd had it there for weeks. She was going to see the specialist and that next day it had dissolved and it had completely disappeared. I prayed, we prayed for Stu at one of our prayer nights a few weeks ago. He'd snapped his Achilles tendon and they said to him that it would be months and months and months and months to recover and we declared healing over his life. We prayed for him, lay hands on him. And when he got his moon boot off, they said to him, oh, you just stretched it, did you? Like, you know, because you're far more ahead than where you should be. And he goes, no, it was a full tear. It was fully snapped. He was miraculously healed. I prayed for a guy in Modbury just the other, about three or four weeks ago. He'd had scoliosis and bulging discs in his back. I laid my hands on his back. Nothing special. There was no violinist there at the time, but I prayed in the name of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, by the shed blood of the cross, his back is healed. That guy was healed instantly. He came up to me afterwards and I kind of prayed. Everyone was praying. It wasn't like I was just the only one praying. There was a, it was like a prayer meeting. And I prayed and I kind of prayed and, I, and Sarah was there and we prayed and you know, I didn't feel like firebolts from heaven or anything. Uh, you know, which is nice to feel. But he came up to me like five minutes later and he goes, I can't believe it. I'm healed. And he's touching his toes and he's wriggling his back. He said, I haven't been able to do that for years. He's healed in Jesus' name. There was a guy by the name of Jeff who I prayed for when I preached in Modbury in February. And I did an altar call for healing and he came forward and he was going to see the surgeon and it was his last surgeon visit before his knee replacement. Knee replacement not knee re reconstruction. So he went to see, goes to see his surgeon after I've prayed for him. And I remember praying for him and I'm just whacking him on the knee and I'm thinking, well, that's channeling my inner Smith Wigglesworth. <laughs> and uh, he comes to me and he, and he says, Phil, they did some more scans before my final scans before my surgery and I'm healed. My knee is completely healed. Completely healed. God is a healer. Now, there are plenty of people that I've prayed. Come on, let's give God a hand. He is a healer. 
And there are plenty of people that I've prayed for, though, that haven't been healed. But what I know is plenty have been healed. I don't understand why and I don't understand it because I'm not God. But what I do know is that as we lay hands on the sick, they will recover. Psalm 103 says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not His benefits. Who forgives your sins and heals your diseases? Isaiah 53, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. James chapter 5, Is anyone sick among you? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will heal the sick. Once the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles, they went out and they were healing people left, right and centre. The, the, the lame man at Gate Beautiful, Anus, who was in bed, and he was bedridden for eight years. He was healed. Dorcas was raised to life. People, as I said, would bring their sick out onto the street just so that Peter's shadow would touch them. Oh, Holy Spirit, I ask, won't you do it again? Won't you do it again? And it doesn't have to be. Oh, I love the service and I love that we can get together and we can gather and the anointing is here. But you can do that in your own home. You can do it in your workplace, in your school or whatever it is that you're doing. All it takes is a bit of faith. Do you mind if I pray for you? No? Fantastic. Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, by the shed blood of the cross, by the power of the Holy Spirit, won't you heal this person? Take away, in Jesus' name, amen. If God doesn't heal them, then that's God's problem. You know what I mean? Like, you're not the healer. God is the healer. And he may not heal them, but he may. He may and he will. He is a healer. I've seen it in my own life and you can pray for people and you can see healing. Just as salvation is available because of the cross, so is healing. And as you lay hands on the sick in faith, they will be healed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Five reasons you need the Holy Spirit. First, he guides you. Second, he heals you. And third, he leads you to salvation. John 16 7 verse 9, it goes on to say, And when He has come, the Holy Spirit, Jesus is talking, it says, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in Me. You know, it's the Holy Spirit that leads us to salvation. You know, so often we, we strive and we work and we, and we try to get across this thing of salvation. And then even for our family members and the lost ones and the ones that we're praying and interceding for, we, we feel the burden and the weight that we've got to be the ones that bring them to salvation. But the reality is, it's the Holy Spirit that brings people to salvation. You know, it's like my brother. My brother, when he was 19 or 20, he took this little Suzuki four-wheel drive out for a test drive. And he went to a beach near Sejuna called Davenport Beach. Uh, Devonport Creek, it's called Shelley Beach. And he takes his little blue Suzuki and he's test driving it and he drives right up to the end of the beach. It's like one of those massive beaches that's not easily accessible. You can't go by two-wheel drive, you need four-wheel drive. And he gets right to the end of the beach. It's 20 kilometres to the nearest person and he gets bogged right on the shoreline. And then the tide's coming in and the tide's rising and he has to walk 20 kilometres to the nearest farmhouse to get to raise the guy and say, can you please come and, and tow me out? And the guy had a like brand new Toyota Land Cruiser and this car was bogged. 
And the water was up to its windscreens. The water was in. And my brother is figuring, I guess I'm buying this car now. And the guy comes in his Toyota Land Cruiser and he hooks his tow cable on and he pulls this little Suzuki Swift out of the water. The reality is that you and I were mired in clay, that we were stuck in our sin, that the waves of the world were up against our, and they were coming up against us. You couldn't get yourself out on your own. You needed someone to bring uh, the, the message of the Holy Spirit, the message of the cross to you, and you needed the Holy Spirit, who in the scenario would be the Toyota Land Cruiser, to pull you out. You needed the Holy Spirit to pull you out and to show you the reality of the cross. You can't save your friends. You need to pray for them and you need to bring the Holy Spirit into their lives so that He can pull them out and pull them to Jesus. He lifts us up out of our mess and the death and destruction of this world and places our feet on the rock, on solid ground, and His name is Jesus. Five reasons you need the Holy Spirit. First, He guides you. He heals you. He leads you to salvation. Number four, He refreshes you. John 7, 37. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. This is Jesus speaking and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scriptures had said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You know, the, the Holy Spirit is likened to a dove. He's likened to oil. He's likened to fire. But the Bible often refers to the Holy Spirit as water, as living water. When you're dry, when you're worn out, when you've got nothing left to give, you know, so often that those times that we turn to everything else to try and fill us, we turn to Netflix, we turn to gambling, we turn to addictions, we turn to social media, whatever it is, we all have something that we turn to. But as we turn our face to the Holy Spirit and allow Him to do a work in our life, then He begins to refresh us. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He brings me to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that refreshes you. We can't be chasing the things of this life. We need to be chasing the Holy Spirit. I'm going to keep moving for time's sake. The last one today, Dean, if you could join me. The Holy Spirit empowers you. Acts 1 verse 8. But you shall receive power. Power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You know, this power, this dunamis power, as the Greek would refer to it, it's an explosive power and you aren't called to live a dead, boring, weak life. You are called to live a life of power. This church isn't called to be a dead, weak, powerless church. You know, we can have the greatest band. We can have the greatest LED wall. We can have the greatest kids program. We can have the greatest life group uh, leadership program ever. But if it doesn't have the Holy Spirit, it is dead. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. And you could be someone and you do all the right things. You come to church. You pray, you, maybe you do everything right and you feel like I just can't break through and it's because it's not about you, it's about the Holy Spirit in you. He shall fill you with power. We need power to walk our lives. We need power to outwork 
the call that He has placed on you. This church isn't called to be a place where people come and they sit and they're comfortable and they go and have a cup of tea and sit on the veranda. I feel like I'm having a real dig at verandas lately. This church is called to be a place where you come and you're filled with the Spirit of God. And you take that into your community. You take the power of God into your workplace, into your family, into the streets. If you're at Lobethal Bakery, you wouldn't see Dean there, but you can bring the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to be weird. You don't have to be wacky. But maybe, just maybe, God could drop a word of knowledge in your heart. Maybe God could drop a word of encouragement. Maybe you're in your workplace and someone needs a breakthrough. You can pray for them. You know, ask first. Don't just go laying hands and speaking on tongues on people. Ask. They say yes. Pray for them. And believe that God will do it. God will fill you with power. Oh, man. The car that you buy isn't meant to just sit out the front looking shiny and new. Take that car. Take the power and the authority that's been given to you and walk in it. Not just in here, but in every part of your life. Ephesians 3 verse 20. Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask, think, or imagine according to the power that is at work with us. Romans 8. The same Spirit that conquered the grave now lives in us. 2 Timothy verse 1, chapter 1. For God hasn't given us spirit of fear or timidity, but of love and of power and a sound mind. We're not called to be weak, do-nothing Christians. Too often this world, with all the craziness that's going on, from COVID to gender ideology to everything that's going on in between, the church can retreat. The church can become, become a place of nice words, a place of encouragement. You know, this church isn't a political church. I don't stand up here and I don't make political statements because that's not what we're called to do. But you are called to come and bring light and to bring power into every situation that you walk in. In the darkest of days, we need lights that will shine bright in every situation. Would you stand with me across this place as we come to a close? And if the band could join me as well, that would be fantastic. You might be here this morning. And you're not in a relationship with Jesus. You wouldn't say that you're a Christian. You wouldn't say that you've ever made a commitment to allow Jesus to be your Lord and Saviour. Then right across this place, I want to give you an opportunity to make that commitment today, to allow Jesus to come into your heart, to change your life, to turn it around. You may have once made that decision, but you've walked away or maybe you've never made that decision. Then today is the day of salvation and I want to encourage you with every head bowed and with every eye closed in this place, if that's you this morning, would you do me a favour and just lift your hand. I'm not going to get you to do anything crazy. I just want to pray for you and pray with you. Is there anyone here this morning? It's time to come home. It's time to make a fresh commitment.